0: So you took dad's car out kind of late without my permission in order to rescue your little friend who was being you know tortured or whatever that's against the rules and so as punishment you're going to have to go into the garden and find sentient beings who have language and clearly very well-developed neocortexes and you'll have to abuse those people you'll have to make their lives miserable and and throw them that is your punishment Chapter 3, The Burrow. So I haven't read this chapter, but I'm guessing they're going to burrow out, Harry and Ron, out of his room without using magic. Just like solid digging skills. And then they like get involved with like a money laundering scheme. And then Ron commits suicide. And then they lose the Best Picture Oscar to Forrest Gump. Which is the worst fucking movie. Forrest Gump, that is, not Shawshank. Which is a good movie. Although I'd actually say that. Pulp Fiction is my favorite movie that year. So it turns out that Ron has taken a a flying car to visit Harry, but it's cool because Ron didn't do the floating car magic himself, so he's, like, free on a technicality. And then he's like, Hey, why haven't you been answering my letters? I'm too dense to realize it might have something to do with the fact that your uncle installed steel bars on your windows. And then Ron tells Harry that he knows that Harry's been using magic in front of muggles and he got in trouble for it, And Harry's like, oh, I didn't actually do that, it was someone else. And then Ron's like, why would you do that? You should know better. And so apparently Ron lost all his listening skills over the summer? Like, what the fuck, dude? You suck at being a friend. The number one rule of being a friend is that you err on the side of believing your friends when they tell you shit. Like, apparently they don't teach fucking Friendship 101 at Hogwarts. And so then they tie the rope to the bars of Harry's window and then to the flying car and they bust him the fuck out of there. But when they do, the narrator describes the sound of the bars breaking as a crunching sound, which is really weird. Like, that is not at all the sound that that would make. And then for some reason they decide to take the bars themselves, like they put the bars into the car, like a souvenir or something. And then Harry's like, but wait, I have a cupboard full of magic Hogwarts shit that is locked away. And they're like, oh yeah, and... They pick the lock to the cupboard and it's this like super convenient thing that ron's brothers just happen to know how to pick the exact type of lock that is locking up harry's shit and it's funny because it obviously makes no sense and even the author now knows that it makes no sense because the author has one of ron's brothers be like Most wizards don't bother learning these dumb muggle tricks, because why the fuck would they need to be able to pick a lock if you're a fucking wizard and you can just bust it open with your wizard skills, but we did learn how to for some reason. And this is actually a technique called lampshading, and the idea is that if you just highlight or acknowledge the absurdity, then you take away the critic's ability to call out the absurdity. So the critic's like, that's fucking totally absurd and makes no sense and but it happens to be very convenient for the plot and then the other is like i know everyone's going to think this is absurd so i will cut them off at the pass by having the characters acknowledge that it's absurd you're like yeah but it's still totally absurd and the other is like isn't it and you're like well yeah but you wrote it so anyway they're off also just a quick note about fred and the other guy apparently this is something that just happens in this universe we're basically Like, two characters who are just completely interchangeable exist. Like, um... Pickles and Krabby, or whatever the Dracula kids' friends' names are. I don't really know what's going on here, but a lot of times writers do this so they can have more death. Like, they can just kill off one of the two characters, and it's shocking, but nothing really changes because they still have an exact copy of that character. So my guess is that one of the Weasel brothers dies at some point. I mean, everyone dies, but you know what I mean. So then Uncle Vernon is like coughing and starting to wake up or whatever and then they like forget the owl and so they have to go back for the owl which is i guess supposed to build tension but i honestly feel zero tension here and just want to get this part of the book over with as quickly as possible and so then uncle vernon barges into harry's room and grabs him by the ankles and then the weasel brothers grab him and he becomes like this human tug-of-war rope and then the weasel brothers of course win because there's literally no tension it's just Is he going to escape? Why the fuck else would we have this chapter? And then he goes into the car and they take off. Uh, Question about this, why the hell does the uncle want to keep Harry in the house in the first place? Like We literally just had a chapter belaboring the family's hatred and neglect of Harry and how they never let him out of the house and they never want him to meet guests and every time he's around he ends up ruining everything. So why would they be so hell-bent on keeping him here when it would be Clearly better for everybody involved if he just went to live with Ron's family. These characters have no discernible motivation here, once again, except to want to make life as difficult as possible for Harry. Even if it means making their own lives a great deal more difficult. But when Harry does end up making their lives more difficult, they get super angry at him. So clearly they care about their own lives to some degree. They aren't pure masochists like that slave elf. They're honestly just insanely poorly drawn characters as far as I can tell. Also, I'm sure that this scene is cool to a preteen or a teenager who, like, feels super constricted in their own homes and they just want to break free. I just wish it was handled a little bit better. Like, I wanted it to be more Ocean's Eleven-y, some, like, interesting, intricate plot that leaves the Dursleys all fucked up and out of their element. But instead it's just like, Watch them break through the walls, Kool-Aid man style. So Harry's free, and he yells see you next summer to his aunt and uncle, which is funny because it's like on some subconscious level. He knows that he needs to pay the piper for this one at some point. He's like, I gotta own up to this bit of destruction. But because he's like 12, next summer probably seems really far away, and so it doesn't even matter. And so then Harry tells the, uh, the screeching weasels all about why he's been radio silent, and the older weasel boys are like, Oh, a slave elf? They're pretty cool. They have super cool magic, but only when their masters let them use it. And then they're like, so do you know anyone who doesn't like you? And Harry and Ron are simultaneously like, oh yeah, the Dracula kid. And they're like, you mean Luscious Dracula Man's son? And they say that Luscious Dracula Man was a supporter of you-know-who, and we do. It's Voldemort. And so then the weasel kids are like, only obnoxiously rich families have house elves. Our family is only kind of rich, so we only have slave gnomes in our garden and a slave ghoul in our attic. Not a fancy house slave elf like the 1% of the 1% have. So cool, the Weasel family are slave owners, apparently. They have gnomes, slave gnomes. That's weird. And then, speaking of the Weasel family, we learned that their dad works in a department that specializes in figuring out which muggle-made objects were turned into, like, wizardry objects. And... They tell the story of this, like, muggle family that bought a bewitched tea set, and it went all crazy and burned the shit out of them, and the weasel kid's dad had to erase their memories. So, cool wizard guy. Thoughts are literally the foundation of our freedom and autonomy. Thanks for fascistically fucking with that. But then we also find out that their dad is a giant hypocrite because he takes muggle shit apart and, like, puts charms on it and then puts it back together so that it's magic, which is literally the thing that he is trying to get people not to do at his job. So then the kids land at the house, and it's all whimsical. The narrator, like, actually does a pretty good job of describing the, the whimsical nature of the house, except she describes the cauldron as a very rusty cauldron. And this bugs the shit out of me, because the sentence would flow so much better if she just said rusty cauldron. It's not like my mind adds more rust to my mental picture when I read the word very, like, oh, it's a very rusty cauldron. And so then they think they've gotten away with their late-night shenanigans, but actually the mom comes out and yells at them, but she's super nice to Harry, and they have breakfast. And I think my, my least favorite part is that during breakfast, the mom is, like, super cliched housewife. And she's, like, still chastising them about their little joyride. And she's like, someone could have seen you. And they're like, um, we rescued this dude who was being imprisoned and starved by his own family. And she's like, what am I ever going to do with you? And, like, what the hell is up with women in this book not understanding context? This is now the third female character who is just blatantly misreading exigent circumstances. And then some male character always has to be like, but, um, he was starving? Or like, uh, sorry, an evil wizard is actually trying to kill me? And they're just like, well, you shouldn't be out late at night past your curfew. This is a very sexist dynamic. The implication is that men know when to break the rules. Like, men operate according to a looser parameter of situational ethics, whereas women operate according to, like, this strict, rigid, inflexible set of ethical norms. But the narrator stacks the deck in favor of the quote-unquote male version, obviously, because she knows the reader has the requisite context to judge the character's moral choices. And we're never like you know, Professor Catwoman is right. She has a point. They shouldn't have been wandering the halls after hours trying to not get killed. Or like, the weasel kids shouldn't have rescued Harry and taken him out of his awful conditions. That was very thoughtless of them. So basically, we're just left with this like, oh, look at all these prissy inflexible women trying to keep our hero down with their overbearing moral sensibility. And so then we meet the young weasel sister, and she has, like, a major crush on Harry. And then also the mom has a major crush on this wizard guy from, like, a gnome book. And the wizard guy is, like, like, it's, like, this, like, book about how to get rid of gnomes. And, but because it's a wizard book, he's, like, he comes to life as a hologram. And the weasel mom, and he's, like, all winking at the weasel mom, and the weasel mom's getting all, like, hot and bothered. It's very bizarre. But so then as punishment for their awful sins of rescuing our hero from his miserable existence... The weasel kids all have to do what's called de the garden. They basically, there's all these garden gnomes, and they have to get rid of them. And the mom refers to the gnomes as pests. But then they are depicted as these, like, sentient, English-speaking little bald guys. So this is some more fascism here. And then Ron says, like, you have to swing them around until they get all dizzy, and they can't find their way back to their gnome hole. So he, like, grabs this gnome and just, like, starts swinging it. And then he's like, but it's cool, it doesn't hurt the gnome. And then he just, like, throws the fucking gnome in the air. And his brothers are like, I can throw that gnome farther than you can. And so they're all, like, throwing these gnomes. And Harry, like, still has a little bit of humanity left at this point. And so he decides to just, like, gently drop the gnome over the hedge. But then the gnome bites him. And so then Harry's like, fuck it, I'm throwing gnomes. And so then all these dudes are just throwing gnomes. And then they're also like, fuck these stupid gnomes. They're so stupid, they see their friends getting thrown and they come out and so then we throw them that's dumb and it's like that's actually not dumb. that's like a very interesting defense mechanism just because it doesn't work doesn't mean it's dumb and and so then they throw the gnomes and that's the end of it i like i have no idea what message this is supposed to convey it's just a whole bunch of dudes throwing gnomes and then their dad comes home and he complains about his work like he's like fucking al bundy or some shit he does like the one hand in the pants routine and he's like These wizards are pulling goofs where they put a shrinking hex on a muggle's keys and so the muggle's keys start shrinking. And the muggles are so stupid that they think they're crazy. And they don't immediately jump to the idea that there's a whole world of wizards fucking with them for no reason. Also, if they do jump to that conclusion for some reason, then we erase their memory. Like, yeah, the muggles are the stupid ones here, Dad, you're right. And so then the weasel mom starts yelling at the weasel dad about the flying car... And then the dad explains that there's a loophole in the law that lets him have a flying car as long as he doesn't intend to drive it. And she's like, yeah, the loophole in the law that you wrote, you fucking dumbass. And then he's like, okay, calm down. And she's like, our boys flew your car. Doesn't that make you mad? And he's like, uh, yeah, I'm mad. I'm definitely mad about that. And so we're back to this whole men understand ethics contextually bullshit, which seriously sucks. And then Ron is like, yo, check out my room. And Ron's room is completely orange. Everything's fucking orange, which is weird as fuck. And then it's—I guess it's because like Ron's favorite Quidditch teams' colors are orange, apparently. And then Harry is like, "This is the best house ever," and that's the end of the chapter. Weird chapter, misogynistic chapter. Nothing happened that made me want to keep reading. But they, uh, they, they threw some gnomes.